possibly none. And I, I got to stop because this is one, one, one side note real quick. It is such an honor. If you're a first-time guest, we are so grateful that you are here at Refuge Church. Amen. But there is one first-time guest I want to give a shout-out to. It is the first time that Langston Jamel has made it into the building. We give honor to the, to the Jones family. I know he might be sleeping in that little carrier, but there's a healthy mama and a healthy baby back in the, the building. And uh, a lot of people are not healthy. So just don't even ask to hold the baby for a while, okay? We, want, we don't want no flu season getting into a brand new baby. So just say, beautiful child, keep your face away from the carrier. There's too much flu going around. But we just want to say that. And by the way, they didn't tell me to say that. That's just me saying that as a dad. So thank you. So we're honored to, to see them all back in church together. Praise God. Love the Jones family. So that's what I wanted to say when I saw her back there rocking that little carry. I said, oh, look at that. Possibly no biblical topic has been hijacked as much as the topic of grace. It's been cheapened, weakened, diluted from its accurate biblical significance. In that process, many worshipers today view grace as just a hollow shell of what God in initially intended that to be. Grace is the foundation of salvation. We are brought to God and brought into right standing with Him through grace. Some will call that justification, justified by faith. But grace is what allows us to be justified. Without grace, there is no salvation. Paul makes this clear over and over and over again in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, Ephesians 1, 7, he says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace. 2.8 says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Ephesians 4.7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So grace, it's not some weak or ineffectual force. It is the vehicle for the mighty power of God to manifest itself in the life of the believer. It is God extending an offer of salvation to a sinner who desperately needs it. And if you didn't realize this, you are a sinner, and so am I. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So even if you are foolish enough to think you've only made one mistake in your entire life, you're still a sinner. So we need grace. Yet the, in their desire to avoid commitment and consecration to the Lord, though, some people have intentionally cheapened the concept of grace. They make it so grace makes allowances for people, even those who refuse to obey the gospel of Christ. And so this morning I want to talk on this topic. Grace isn't cheap. Grace isn't cheap. Lord, thank you so much, God. We are so grateful to gather in a beautiful building with other beautiful believers, God, and we can sit in these pews and we can hear your word proclaimed and taught and discussed, Lord. Lord, let your word come to life in a marvelous and powerful way for us today, that it would impact us, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen, amen. People who like cheap grace will say things like, Grace is so powerful, it doesn't make demands of the believer. Grace is just there to make up the difference between me and Jesus. 
He's so perfect, I'm not. And so grace just makes up the difference there. But that might be the mantra of some modern day believers, but it's just not, it's not what scripture says. An appropriate definition of the original meaning of grace is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection in life. Grace was never meant simply to save us and then just abandon us along the way. Like grace just, hey, it, it rescued me out of a life of sin and then it just got me on my path and it went and left me and now I'm just by myself trying to make this journey alone. That's not grace. The same grace that brings us to right standing, that justification, <clears throat> that's also the power that provides constraints in which we now live in our life for Christ. Now, and does anybody here love the term constraints or restraints? I mean, like, I'm not, a, not, I'm not those aren't my favorite words. But Titus 2.11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So guess what? If that's a promise, it's a word of, it's a prophetic word. The grace of God is going to appear to all men. So when you say, what about that person that lives in this jungle? What about this person that lives over here? What about this person? Listen, I, I stand in the scripture that says the grace of God that bringeth salvation is going to appear to all men. But it also is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. Grace is often discussed in the realm of initial salvation, response to God. Thank you for God's grace. Oh, someone was baptized and they were baptized. It's the grace of God. We can come before an altar repentance and experience God's grace, God's grace. And we, and we really talk about it in the realm of initial salvation. But notice it says God's grace. There's two parts there. The first one is God's grace bringeth salvation. I'm thankful for that. But then it says, but God's grace also teaches us what? How to live godly, to avoid unrighteousness, how to, how to live godly in the present world. And so there's two components of grace. One is that initial plan of salvation, that grace brings salvation. But grace also continues with me on my walk as I learn to live righteously, as I learn to separate myself from this world, not in a way that I'm better than them and I'm, I, 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 I don't need to hang out with them or talk to them. No, God called us to reach and love and have compassion on this world. I'm talking about our mindset, our way of thinking. I'm talking about the worldly scheme of things, the, the schematics of things, the, 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 the worldview. And so a failure to understand the principle of grace is not a new thing. Paul himself addressed this to the believers of Rome. Somehow they thought that grace afforded them the opportunity to do whatever they pleased, that it would just sustain them no matter what they did or what choices they made. That'd be nice. Wow, God's grace, thankful for God's grace. What are we doing tonight? There's no service, let's go have some fun. All you got to do is say, grace, grace, God's grace, God's grace. Thank God for his grace. Let's go have fun. We'll feed the flesh whatever it desires. I don't have to worry about anything because I have the grace of God. What? So Paul, this concept kind of snuck in. So Paul, he starts to address this and he says, well then, should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of this wonderful grace? He says, of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in something that we've died to? 
Grace isn't there so we can just keep feeding the flesh ungodly lusts. He didn't, grace didn't allow them to live according to the dictates of their flesh. Grace actually constrained them to live righteously. Grace bringeth salvation, but it also constrains us to live righteously. Today's Christians often quick to desire the initial work of grace at the altar, but slow to subject themselves to the ongoing demands of grace after the fact. Wait a second. Grace? Is demanding? Yes. Yes, yes. Grace is demanding. That almost sounds like, wait, what? I disagree with that statement. Well, let me, let me show you. Scripturally, I might get, that's where I get labeled as a Pharisee or legalistic. But look at the word of God. Look what it shows in aligning with the teaching of Christ. When Jesus was presenting what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he gave evidence of just how strong grace was to be in our lives. He was addressing a group of people who had been taught, since they were children, the statutes of the law of Moses. But now Jesus is introducing them to this new, uh, some would label it dispensation, but this concept of grace, a time of grace. You know, you're under the law, but John the Baptist is a forerunner and prepares the way for Christ. And Christ comes in, he starts teaching things that, 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 Whoa, 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 wait, wait. The law of Moses says this. Oh, hang on a second. And so Jesus starts kind of running a parallel in his, in, in, in his uh, uh, talk here, in his sermon. And he, he, he does not do so by lowering expectations. He's not saying the law of Moses was demanding. But I'll tell you, for me today, for us, oh, it's going to be so much more fun. We can say, well, yeah, they had to kill animals, do all this stuff, go through all these uh, ceremonies and stuff. Praise God, we don't have to do that. It's so much better to live in a time of grace. And that's right in a lot of cases. But some people will take that concept and run with it and say, there's no demands. There's no demands in grace. There's no demands in, in, in living this time of grace. But look what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, we can't go through the whole thing, but look at three passages. 521, he says, you've heard our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Yeah, we're looking back in the law of Moses. He says, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, kids don't ever call someone an idiot. That's sinful. You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. My, my. And he goes in 527, he says, you've heard in the commandment, you must not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He says, but I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. 30, uh, 43 says, you've heard the law say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. He says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow. Grace doesn't sound easy. I mean, that's why when I say, who here has spent the morning interceding for your enemies and people that have really hurt you, done you wrong? Uh, there's probably not going to be a lot of hands like, yes, yes, that was me, Pastor. All morning long, I've been interceding for the person that hurt my family. Grace is demanding. It, it takes the concepts of the law, and in many cases, it goes further than that. 
And so we see him go, listen, you've heard it said. I say, look at the heart issue. I say, let's look at the thought process. Let's look at the mind. Let's look at the heart. His grace sets a much, a much higher standard for conduct in Christian living than the law ever did. Grace not only saves us, it compels us to continue on this journey. Not only grace brings salvation, grace teaches us how to walk this journey. It compels us to emulate Jesus Christ, that our lives and our mannerisms, our dress, our thoughts, our actions, everything can say, I am a vessel that reflects Jesus Christ. That's what grace does. It's, it's, it's on us with our, in our journey. Based on these passages, how could anyone say grace is not demanding? God's grace in our lives is what calls us to respond in an altar. God's grace in our lives is what allows us to rise from that altar and walk out of here and have the power to live a life that is separated, sanctified, and consecrated unto Jesus Christ. If you've heard of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German theologian and pastor who withstood Nazism in the 1900s. He said this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Re baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy which merchant will sell all his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Grace costs something. Some Pentecostal churches are afraid to touch the subject of grace because the term has been perverted by, and misused by the nominal world. Somehow, people can be afraid, and rightly so at times, when a preacher starts using the word grace a lot. They're afraid grace will compromise truth. So we get more truth and less grace, and that's hurt the image of some Pentecostal churches because we embrace truth and we should embrace truth. But in our embrace of truth, we're afraid to also embrace grace. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ is the source of both of those things. Grace and truth. Scripture says, John 1.17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I am thankful that we do not have to choose one or the other. I am thankful that as a church, we can embrace and hold tight to truth while also embracing and holding tight to grace because grace and truth both come from Jesus Christ. Grace isn't overlooking sin. Grace is offering a solution to that sin. Don't allow someone's misguided views of grace confuse you. Beware of any message. Hear me right now. If you're a guest here and you say, well, I'm looking for a church. I'm just checking your church out. We pray to the Lord God Almighty that you love it here. You feel welcome here. And you say, I want to grow in this place. That's our plan and our prayer and our hope. But 
If you're looking for a church, beware of any church, any message of grace that does not lead you into true discipleship. Anything that does not lead you because it's not just grace. Oh, just repeat this prayer. God's grace. Hey, boom, we're saved. Whoa, grace is teaching. It's, it's, it's bringing us salvation. But grace is also teaching us as we continue on this journey how to live a life of consecration, dedication, separation, sanctification. Sanctification is a process. We're always being sanctified in the spirit. Grace is not some license to do what you want in this, knowing this magical concept of grace bridges the gap between you and your sinfulness and the perfection of God. Grace is what calls us to respond to God in his word in obedience. Grace does this throughout our daily choices, but it also is what works in us at the altar in our moment of conversion. The concept of grace might be cheapened by some, but God is calling believers to hold on to doctrine and to allow the Spirit to guide us as we cling to that precious truth. He, he writes to Timothy, Paul does, in 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learn from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Notice, he says, what, leave that passage up, please. Notice that he says, how are you going to do this? How are we going to guard it? How are we going to be led by it? He says, by the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why you're sitting in a Pentecostal church. We believe in the Pentecostal experience. It's not just a, a man-made religion. It is when you go back to the book of Acts chapter 2, it says, on the day of Pentecost... What were they doing? They were all in an upper room, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. That's not just some doctrinal thing. We grab that right from Scripture and says, that is the way we see throughout the book of Acts. People received the Spirit. The evidence they had the Spirit was they spoke in tongues, and today he's still pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. And so when we are filled with that Spirit, obviously Timothy was already because he said that that has already been entrusted to you. He says that is already within you. He had already experienced that, just like we read in the book of Acts. So Paul, uh, Paul says, Timothy, by that spirit that is in you, that is the way you're going to guard this precious truth entrusted to you. And God knew the Old Testament law was not going to be good enough to accomplish what he had for his people. That's why in the Old Testament, a prophet named Ezekiel gave a prophetic word about a later date in regard to this very spirit that I just referenced. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it's, he says, he, he, he's back there in the law of Moses, still living back there. And he says, I'm talking about a time that he says, I will, God's word says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take your stony heart, stubborn heart, give you a tender and responsive heart. He says, I will, how am I going to do that? I will put my spirit, big S, referring to God, I will put my spirit in you. So that you will follow my decrees and obey my regulations. There are regulations in living for God. Grace does not free us from those things. There are certain principles and commands that God says, hey, one day you're living in the law of Moses. You're following these 613 commands. But one day I'm going to put my spirit in your life. And part of that reason is not just to get out of jail card free. You play Monopoly, you know, and you get the get, get out of jail card free and you hold on to it. And then we get to send you to jail. You are, oh man, you are awesome. You're so thankful that you had that orange 
card that said, get out of jail free. And you handed it in, and you got out of the, the, the jail, and that was it, and you were done. That's, the, the Holy Ghost is a lot more than that. It's not just a get out of jail free card where you uh, get a chance to just go ahead and say, hey, I got the Spirit. Grace is upon me. Things are wonderful, and I'm, and I'm free. No, 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 it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. So he says, I'm putting my spirit inside you so that it will help you in your walk. It will help you obey my, my regulations. It will help you to follow my expectations and my desire for you. In his grace, God made it clear that he no longer wanted to us to just live in Old Testament tabernacles and tents. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God does not live where? It doesn't live in a temple. It doesn't live in a tabernacle. He says it lives in He's writing to a New Testament church, a church that had already experienced the infilling of God's spirit. And he says, listen, you're looking at the, the Old Testament tabernacles, temples, and these beautiful, ornate buildings. But right now, he, his plan has been fulfilled in what he's done for us. We, he now dwells inside of us when we receive his spirit. God's, God always had this beautiful plan of grace that included filling people with his spirit. But with that grace, there was also an expectation to follow his commands and his decrees. That's what John 14, 23, Jesus answered and he's teaching. He says unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is, glad he clarifies it, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now, teaching is a process, is it not? So he didn't send your child to school and you said, hey, how did you enjoy your school today? Great. Wonderful. Well, did they give you your, your certificate of completion because you completed a full eight hours of your school day? They taught you everything you needed to know and you are done. Congratulations. Man, if I ever thought that the, that the, the kids would be saying amen, they, I, I figured they were going to say it right there. They're like, where do I sign up for that school? One day, you get taught, and you're done. School's done the rest of your life. Nope. Your youth pastor is a little older than you. And guess what? He's still in school. Let that be an example. You guys see, you get, you get decades of school left to look forward to. Is that exciting? It's exciting. They're going to start commanding the spirit to come out of me. Why? Because teaching you is a process. That's why, what day did you get saved? <laughs> oh, I'm still in the process. Teaching you, when God fills me with his spirit, I'm now justified based on my faith and his spirit inside of me, but I am not there yet. Now grace has allowed me to experience the initial conversion experience, but that grace is now walking with me. God's grace has filled me with his spirit by his grace, 
And now today, I'm still learning how to walk in the spirit and not the flesh. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will bring things to remember, and, and it will teach me. Because why? Grace doesn't just bring salvation. It teaches me. So I'm always being taught. Ta <clears throat> I don't ever get to the point where I say, I got it. I got it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all your help these last few years. I really appreciate it. I have now completed the program. Never, never, ever, ever, never. The minute you get there, you're like Paul. He says, take heed, lest I preach to everybody else, and I myself am a castaway. There's this call, though, to obedience, but also this offer of grace. And so, do you know what? One of the greatest blessings that grace brings, though, is salvation. And do you know the name Jesus literally means salvation? God has become or is our salvation. Because of Jesus, because of Calvary, the cross, grace is available to take care of the guilty, horrible feeling that the hopelessness of sin brings. Has anyone here have enough guts to raise your hand and say, I have sinned and I have felt the hopelessness of feeling stuck and just terrible about myself. I've made mistakes and choices that I feel, oh, I, I, I messed up again. I think we've all experienced that before. We've all gone through that before. And, and grace, though, it, it's this, this hopeless feeling, or, or I'm sorry, sin was that hopeless feeling, but grace, grace, though, was not cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. There's a difference. Christ pay, paid the price. He gave his life to pay for it. He, it cost him everything to extend this grace. And this is the part that's so amazing to me. Is it's not like he just did it and, oh, now we all are just, who? He just paid the price. We're all free and we're all loving and serving him. He actually paid a price simply to give you a chance to make a choice. And a lot of people choose not to follow him, not to obey him, not to align their life with him. But he still paid the price because of his love and mercy and to, to open the door for grace just because before Calvary, we didn't even have a choice. There's no going into the presence of God. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no filling, infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's no washing those sins away in the waters of baptism. There's ceremonies that you could follow that would, that would push these things off a little bit, and you could still be in right standing. But it was a, a physical building. Now he says, I'm, I'm moving away from that. I want you to be the physical dwelling place. I want to put my spirit inside of you, not a temple where there's a pillar of fire. I want to put myself in you. I want to walk with you. I want to be with you everywhere so that we, I can teach you things so that we can, I can help you in your daily growth and choices. That's beautiful. That's grace. And so he dies on the cross so that at the end of sermons all across the world this morning, preachers, he chose preaching, he chose salvation through the foolishness of preaching. Scripture says that. 
He, cho- he chooses this method of proclaiming his gospel message. So all over the world right now, there are people standing and speaking and preaching and they're sharing things and, and, and they're going to wrap their message up just like we will in just a few moments where people will sit there, stand there, and they will make decisions as to whether or not they will accept the grace of God. But that's where some people say you just accept the Lord as your personal Savior and you are good and that's it. But scripturally, we don't see, we see God's grace reaches out, but there was always a response. And it was more than accepting is one thing. But I, I, I don't feel right saying I accepted the Lord as my Savior. Man, I'm just thankful he accepted me. I'm just thankful he accepted me. And so he calls for it, and, that, and that's why when, when Peter gets up and starts preaching these things to the believers in that day, they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And Peter clearly tells them in one verse, he says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So scripturally, very succinctly, he says, you want to experience this plan, his plan for your salvation? Repent. Be baptized, and he'll put the spirit right inside you. Because he's no longer just dwelling in a tabernacle and a temple anymore. He wants to dwell within us. And, and, but it costs it. He paid the price for this. He paid the price for the moment we're about to experience to give you the choice as to what you will do with his gospel message. That's grace. His payment opened the door for him not to just be with us, but in us. If you've never been filled with the spirit of the Lord, he not only wants to place his spirit inside of you, he wants to give you the proof, the evidence that it's there, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. When believers started receiving it, just like it was talked about in the Old Testament prophets, scripture says, They all spoke with tongues. What God has for you today is a supernatural experience. Not just a response to a biblical teaching. It's not just joining a church. It's so much more than that. You don't just join a church. You're born into a church. There's a difference. That's why he calls it new birth, being born again. And so God is looking at you and seeing a vessel, a dwelling place, a place he wants to reside. I know that you might not be able to imagine that. Why? Because we don't like dirty houses. Right now, I just lost some of the people because you're already thinking, oh, my Lord, he took a picture of my kitchen. That is my, I I rushed out. I tried to get the kids out the door. Oh, my Lord, he got into my house. He took a picture of my kitchen. I want you to know this is from Google Images. It is not from anybody's kitchen. If your kitchen looks like this, Godspeed to you when you go home this afternoon. We don't like a dirty, we don't like to use the restroom in a dirty house. I mean, the last thing you want is when you're on the road and you have to stop and, you know, got to sit down in a gas station bathroom. Oh, Lord, Jesus, help me. Am I the only one here? Nah, man. You look, 
And then you think you're going to make the decision. You open, you look, you're like, oh, Lord, I can hold it. No, no. <laughs> you're laughing because some of you have been right there with me. You know what I'm talking about. But then you go to somebody's house, and you, if it's a dirty house, and they're like, hey, you want something to eat? And you're like, uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually on a fast. Really? How, when did it start? About 35 seconds ago. We don't like a dirty house. We don't want our house to be dirty. We don't want to hang out, you know. And then your kids go in a dirty house. You're like, oh, here, come here. I got sanitizer. I'm setting myself up because now if I go to one of your houses and you're like, you want something to eat? And I'm like, no, it might not even really be anything, but you're going to start wondering. <laughs> we don't feel comfortable, right? Well, uh, it might feel filthy and, oh, man, it's just, ah. Uh. And so the thought of... The Spirit of God coming to dwell or reside inside of you. You hear this and you say, God wants to put His Spirit in you. And He wants to place the Spirit inside you. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. He wants to reside in you. You are going to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are going to be the tabernacle. It's not made of men anymore like it was in the Old Testament. Now God wants to reside in you. And some of you are going, oh, house not fit for him. I rushed out the door and my house looks like that. And oh, do you see that right there, all that? That's the life that I lived over the weekend. And that stuff right there, that's, that's the things that came out of my mouth when I exploded in anger. And that right there, that's what I was looking at Viewing images, I know I shouldn't have viewed. And this right over here is, is things that I'm just, I'm never grateful. I'm never content. And, and that right here is the substances that I've been struggling with. And I just can't seem to let go. And my house is filthy. It's filthy. It's disgusting. The Lord can't come in here. God, there's no way God wants to dwell here. I don't even, I'm not, a, you ever do that where you walk in your house? It's not even about guests. You look around sometimes, you don't even want to live there. And you go, oh God, there's no way that this preacher's right. There is no way that you want to come into this place and you want to live here. It's impossible. I know things. I, I, I'm aware of things. God, you just don't know, which that statement in itself is hilarious. Like, God doesn't know your dishes are stacking up. Understand the spiritual connotation there. That God doesn't know that spiritually, the spiritual dishes are, are filthy and they're just stacking up all over the place. Like, he's unaware where you are. But grace is not only for those who deserve it. That would leave all of us disqualified. Grace is for the broken. Grace is for the hurting. Grace is for the sinful and grace is for the lost. Grace is a God that says, I'm not going to condemn the whole world to pay for their own death. I love them and I'm going to take on flesh and go pay the price so they can have a choice on Sunday mornings or whenever across the world that I can reach to them and they can have choices to make responses based on what they feel in that moment of grace. 
Don't make the mistake that so many, many people make that says, well, my house looks like this. I can't have him come in, so I need to get home, and I need to begin to try to dive into these messes of the abuse and the words and the anger and the temper and the images and the lust and the perversion. I got, I got to try and get home and begin to wash all the dishes and get them put away in the right spots. I got to take care of some things so that when I get it clean and you can see the stainless steel sink again and it's sparkling, that's when I can send it an invitation to God and say, I am ready. Please come to my home. People think that they have to get good to get God or clean things up and then I can maybe have the Savior come into this vessel. If that is you, let me tell you, that day never comes. You never do so well on your own that you get things perfectly just the way that they need to look and you say, okay, God, because you know what? If you were able to do that, you would not need a Savior. But every single one of us have dirty dishes in the sinks of our heart that we say, my God, I need you to come in right now. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to look cleaner than this moment. But Jesus, I want you to know that I desperately need a Savior. I need someone to step into this wretched, ugly heart of mine. I need amazing grace, just like the song sings about. I was lost. I was dirty. I was filthy. And God, I might never look better than this moment but I got to get myself to an altar I got to say forgive me Lord Jesus come into my heart God please that spirit that I keep hearing about I want that I want that God God started loving us why you know what he, do you know when Christ paid the price for us Scripture tells us, Romans 5, 8, it says God commendeth his love toward us that when, when you got your house clean, when things were perfect, when there were no issues, when you cleaned everything up, he does not say that. He said his love was toward us. So when did he die? It says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you know, if you're sitting there saying, well, I just need to, I need to think about this. I need to stew on this. There's some things I need to work on. I'm not ready yet. What are you talking about? Why are you trying to do it alone? You need a savior. I need a savior. I want to invite him to do what he wants to do right now, today. If my house looks like that, I know that I need God today more than I have ever needed God before. And the beauty of grace is that once you repent, all those sins can be washed away. We got this, this beautiful baptism with clean, warm water. There's clothes to change in. You can come to an altar today and you can can begin to say, God, forgive me. God, cleanse me. God, wash me. Well, what am I supposed to say, preacher? You say what you need to say. There ain't no card to read or magical words to read. God created you, and we are in his image. Just like you don't like someone who's fake, you don't want someone conversing with you off a card. God don't want it either. He wants you to come and say whatever you feel in your heart to say. My God, I messed up. I screwed up again. Lord, forgive me. God, I don't know if I can ever do this, but I certainly am not going to walk out this door unwilling to try. I need you. I need you to walk into this. All the mess, all the dirt, all the years and years of counseling and substance abuse and hurt and anger and pain and brokenness. And God, I need you to start helping me clean some things up. I need grace, not just for initial salvation, but teach 
force me to walk in this ungodly world. That's what grace is. Grace is what God continues to do once you align your life with his commands. Once you say, and when I say align your life with his command, I'm not talking about living perfect. I'm talking about align yourself with what Peter said when he said, when they said, what are we supposed to do? He said, repent. That's the first step. Don't get overwhelmed with changing the rest of your life this morning. The very first step is when you walk out of this pew, you can take a step to the back door or you can take a step to the front altar and everybody in this place has the power to choose where that next step goes. You literally will walk out of your pew and you're either going to go this way or you're going to go this way. It's just going to be one step that's going to determine destiny. It's going to be one step that's going to determine how that house looks. It's going to be one step that says, it's time for me to stop playing around right now. I got to get up here. I need a savior. He died for for me when I was still a sinner. I got to find a place where I begin to cry out to him. And once you've repented of your sins, you can come back here and there is a clean water and you can say, I want to take on the name, the name of Jesus. I want these sins not to only be forgiven. I want them to be washed away. I want them to be out of my life. I want to be clean. I want to be sanctified, set apart. How do I do that? I become the bride of Christ when I take on the name of Christ. When do you take on the name of Christ? It's right. Right here in the waters of baptism when the preacher says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of every single one of those sins. And you put your hand in the water and the minute it comes up, you're clean. It's not magical water. It's not holy water. What it is, is it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. That's what scripture says. When you take on that name and you in faith step into that water, there's something supernatural that takes place that sets you free. And then as you begin to pray, you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That is God saying, I want to be with you. I have been with you, but I want to be in you. That time he says that in John to his disciples. He says, you know what? We're walking. I'm talking to you about the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. I'm walking with you now, but there's another manifestation of my spirit. I'm going to go away. I'm going to die on the cross to open the door to grace, but then I'm not going to leave you alone. I will always be with you even to the end of the world. They're thinking, man, he's going to be with us in flesh. He says, no, I got a much better plan than walking with you in fleshly form. I'm actually going to make you the temple of the Holy Ghost that everywhere you go, I will be with you. Why do you need that? It's not just to get into heaven. It's teaching you to live in this world that I've called you to reach and so your life starts as you get his spirit you start your life starts to reflect his image more and more and more I'm going to wrap this message up right now because God wants to God wants to forgive some hearts God wants to clean some people God wants to wash some sins away God wants to put his spirit inside some people if you're here today and the first thought is I'd like to have this spirit but I want you to take that in that conjunction I want you to cross that out I want you to cross it out and stop saying yeah but yeah but yeah but I just but but, but you don't know my, but but I got this past and and I got no, no just cross it out and say I just heard a message of faith and truth and I'm getting ready to walk up to that place and I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to have my sins washed away. If you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, do it today. I'm telling you, you can do it today. It's an invitation where you say, God, I want you to begin to clean this stuff up. If you have never been filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, do not walk out without it. You can come to this altar. I want to pray with you. Some other people, we would love to pray with you. God will place His Spirit inside of you. Why? 
because that's what his plan has always been. God is reaching to someone right now. I'm, t- I'm telling you, he's reaching to someone right now. As I begin to pray this morning, I just felt it, that there are people in this place that you're sitting here, and as you're trying to go forward, you're still looking backward. But the Bible says our, we're not fit for the kingdom when we're trying to go forward looking backward. It is time to turn your head around. It is time to turn it straight. Stand to your feet, please. It's time to turn your head straight and look at the path in front of you. Right now, you are sitting here going, oh, yeah, but yeah, but I just, uh, you don't know. You don't know what I did. You don't know the past. You don't know how dirty my dishes are. Oh, my goodness. They've been there for a long time. They've been stacking up for years, for years and years and years. It smells. It looks bad. I don't want to invite God into the I can tell you, God would never want to come into this vessel. You are sitting here trying to figure out all of the reasons why he doesn't want to be there. And as you're reading scripture, you're reading one passage after another about all the reasons he does and the reason comes down to this he created you he loves you he wants to dwell in you it's always been his plan and so today, if you would just stop looking and stop saying, oh, it's so dirty, it's so filthy, there's so many years, it's been built up so long, and you can begin to say, God, oh, I would just love for you to step into this place, to fill me with your spirit, and I just, if I could just begin to envision what it would look like to be clean, if I could just envision all that filth to be washed away in the beautiful waters of baptism, that someone could just call the name of Jesus, that I could be the bride of Christ, that you would want to come and dwell in this place place. Why? Because you didn't die for me when I was perfect. You didn't die for me when I was even in right standing or looking the right direction. That you know when Christ died for you, he died for you while you were injecting cocaine into your body. He died for you when you were looking at things you shouldn't have looked at. He died for you when you were unfaithful to your spouse. He died for you when you were doing things that you never should have done. I'm not saying that all those things, oh yeah, let's just sweep them under the rug. No, that's sin. But he died for the sinner. He died for the person that said come here come here all that are heavy laden come on come to me I'll bring you rest I I love you I gave myself for you I want to dwell within you I'm not looking for perfection but I'm looking for commitment I'm looking for someone who will love me enough and trust me enough to come to a place of repentance to find an altar and say God forgive me wash me clean me cleanse me purge me forgive me God I don't want to live this way anymore I'm not trying to look back while I'm still looking forward it's time for me to forget all those things which are behind. I'm telling you, Becky Tussing, if you want the Holy Ghost, stand up right now and raise your hands up in the air. And some ladies are going to pray for you right now. And you're going to begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance, Becky. Come on, ladies, lay hands on her. I'm telling you right now, she told me already. She said, Pastor, I want the Holy Ghost. It's going to happen right now. Oh, just begin to repent. And I'm telling you right now, Becky, call out, call out, cry out right now in the name of Jesus. If anyone here says, you know what, I want the Holy goes I want to be filled with God's spirit I'm telling you find a place at an altar right now if you've never been baptized I'm telling you find a place at an altar we can talk you can be filled with the spirit sins washed away
Becky Tussin with the Holy Ghost. She's been wanting that for years. God just filled her. Anybody else wants it? He'll fill you right now. I'm telling you, God will wash away sins. God will place His Spirit inside you. Just trust Him. Trust Him. Right now it'll happen in the name of Jesus. Jesus. 